in the last year, but mostly last week. On the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm going to go 1,200 plus yards and double-digit touchdowns for Sony Michelle. That's what I call asymmetrical upside. And it's just an urban legend at this point. The J.H.I. bone-on-bone knee condition. Give me the evidence. Where are the x-rays? Show me the MRIs. This is why you're the podfather. <laughs> you know all these things. <laughs> and Like a compound fracture, he has to be airlifted off the mountain. He skeeter it into a tree. Yeah, airlifted would make no sense. <laughs> and Jordan Wilkins! Oh! Oh, the specter! The specter of a Jordan Wilkins! <laughs> and this fucking guy. I won't give his name out because he's a fan. What an asshole. These are my quarterbacks. All this left is Derek Carr. Shit. What are you doing? And <laughs> uh. It's just unreal, the incompetence, the inability to just to sign undrafted free agents. Like, they're available. You just need to pick up the phone and offer $5 more than the next team and they'll sign with you. Just one red cent more. <laughs> Get your head out of your ass, Buffalo. <laughs> If you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! And fuck Bill Belichick. And it's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. I'm Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies, and I'm your host tonight. But you're not here for me. You're here for my fellow Edge of Tomorrow truther, a man whose first words were Jeff Janis, the podfather, Matt Kelly. Edge of Tomorrow. Wow. (laughs) Don't I love that movie? Oh, my God. Edge of Tomorrow. What a great movie. If you have not seen Edge of Tomorrow... Please go see Edge of Tomorrow. One of the one of the finest works uh, by Tom Cruise. I, I I put that out there. It's really Top Gun and Edge of Tomorrow. Really, it is. He thought he put out his best work in 1986 with Top Gun, and then who would have thought? You know, 25 years later. He would come back with Edge of Tomorrow. And the thing with Edge of Tomorrow is every time he dies, he learns. Every time he dies, Zach, he learns how to go a little bit farther. He's a human video game. I know esports is very popular right now. Well, esports fanatics, Tom Cruise showed you the way how to learn with every life in Edge of Tomorrow genius movie yeah absolutely brilliant man uh you know that's i i I saw it it floored me you have to watch it again i mean just to to kind of pick up all the intricacies and everything oh yeah i watch it every day (laughs) you you could oh every day it's amazing every day when he wakes up on the battle scene whoa whoa, you know like what happened right (laughs) like what happened 
And then he's like, wait, what is what's happening? And then he realizes, oh, wait, okay. Then he puts it all together. Okay, I've died before. Here's what happens. Okay, I have to roll over and under this troop carrier, stand up in this squadron, and then march with these guys. Then I have to go into battle, and then when I go into battle, I'm going to face these alien robots, and they're going to be terrifying. Here's what you do. You roll here. And you blast him here, and you roll here, and you blast him here, and you continue. You just get a little bit further, and a little bit further with every life. You get a little bit further, and you learn, and you learn, and you learn, and you learn, and you learn your opponent. You learn your opponent. You learn what he does. You learn when he sticks his head up, and when you can blast him, and you just learn the behavior of the opponent. It's an amazing advantage that you would have unlimited lives, and you'd be able to keep going over and over. And over 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 again until you know the opponent better than he knows himself. And that's what we're trying to do on the Sonic Truth podcast is allow you to know your opponent better than they know themselves. So when you propose a trade, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, except. And you're like, (laughs) right? Zach. So many of the analysts in the fantasy football community are celebrating the running back renaissance, right? They're not saying running back renaissance because that's a a term I coined. That's really what they're celebrating. They're celebrating the running back renaissance all day. That's what they're doing. Running back renaissance, running back renaissance is all they want to talk about. They're like, well, I called this two years ago. I called the running back renaissance. I said, this is happening. Are you noticing the rookie running backs that we're about to enjoy? Are you seeing the Dalvin Cooks and the Leonard Fournettes and the Darius Geises and the Nick Chubbs? Are you seeing them? It's beautiful. Are you not seeing this? This is happening. It's not just Todd Gurley. It's Todd Gurley and so many others. It's Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and just so many young running backs leading this running back renaissance. And it's exciting. It is exciting, and I called it many years ago, but it seems like just now certain analysts are realizing, oh, wait, oh, wait, we should really be drafting running backs early in fantasy drafts. <laughs> like, yeah, right? What's happening? That's, that's where the points are. I mean, isn't that where the points are? It is, running backs are here. We did it, right? It's the running back Valhalla. Like, we did it. Running backs are here. They're amazing, and enjoy it. It's it. the the culmination, you know. Put me on a on a boat with uh, with Saquon, light it on fire, push it out into the water. There we are. We've we've ascended. We're in we're in the running back renaissance right now. And thank God that it's here. <laughs> no, it's pretty ugly. The running backs in 2019 are pretty horrific. I mean, that's the thing about dynasties. You need to understand what your first round picks are worth. And if you're trading a first round pick, you should be trading your 2019 picks. Do not trade your 2020 picks. Your 2020 picks will get you great running backs. We have another wave of elite running backs coming in 2020. But 2019 is the year of the wide receiver. And if you're a fan of wide receivers in rookie drafts, that's great. We don't do that on the Sonic Truth Podcast. We don't do that. We trade for wide receivers once they're proven because we know how hard it is to identify which wide receivers will break out. Stephon Diggs was a fifth-round pick. We don't know. So we lay in wait. 
That's right. We lay in wait in the weeds. We lay quietly, right? That's the perfect strategy. We lay quietly, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and then they strike! Well, that's how we do it with wide receivers. We wait, and we wait, and we nibble, and we wait, and we nibble, and we wait, and we nibble, and we wait. We don't need to draft rookie wide receivers. So if you're telling me that 2019 is stockpiled with elite wide receivers, I say, here are my picks. What do you want for my picks? Give me your 2020 picks because that's where the running backs are. The running backs who will produce right away as rookies, right? Exactly. And then those are the guys you uh, you can flip for those receivers once they hit. I mean, that's you, you use them for a year or two, win your championship, roll them for those receivers who are coming into their prime. Think about what you can get for Todd Gurley in Dynasty right now. Oh, it's insane. You just won a championship with Todd Gurley. Now you turn over Todd Gurley and you get an Odell Beckham Jr. plus more. You get Odell plus, right? You get, oh, I get Odell Beckham Jr., Aaron Jones, and give me Kenny Galladay. And give me a pick, and you can have your Todd Gurley. Oh, oh, oh whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Fine. Fine. So you, you get your championship, and you parlay that into more championships by trading Todd Gurley, the guy that won you the championship. Do you think that you're going to win another championship in 2018 with Todd Gurley? What do you think the odds are that the same player from 2017 will be the player that wins you a championship in 2018? It's unlikely. It's very unlikely. If you have Todd Gurley, I would think about trading Todd Gurley because what you can get for Todd Gurley is a lot. A lot. I would put him out there. I would have one player on the block and one player only, and his name would be Todd Gurley. That's fire, man! You're 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 trading the 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 best asset in the in in dynasty. You're you're trading that running back. I like it. You get so much. I like it. You you get so much. Oh no, it's beautiful. You get Alvin Kamara, Kenny Galladay, another pick. You get so much. You get so much for Todd Gurley. I would love it. There's no way that Todd Gurley can meet expectations in 2018. There's just no way. Because everyone is thinking, oh, McVeigh, right? Mm. Sean McVeigh. I mean, he's just a miracle worker with offenses. And Todd Gurley is in the Sean McVeigh offense. I mean, oh my God. And then, amazing. Like, we have Jared Goff. Jared Goff, too. Jared Goff and Sean McVeigh. I mean, amazing, right? It doesn't get any better than that. How could it get better? Well, the Rams added Brandon Cooks, and now Brandon Cooks has a full offseason get acclimated to the offense with Robert Woods and Cooper Cop and Gerald Everett, who is going to command targets out of the tight end position. Who is that squeezing out in the passing game? Who is going to get less targets in the passing game? You guessed it, Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley is set up to fail in 2018 because there's no way he can meet expectations. It's impossible. Yeah, I mean, you you got to think exactly that. And something funny that, that I've been kind of pounding on is the Rams 
actually threw fewer passes last year than Jacksonville. And their defense got a lot better. Yeah. They added Indomitian Sue. They yeah. added Akeem Talib. Think about it. They added elite pieces to that defense, and they were already a low-volume pass attack, a pass attack that refused to throw deep. Remember, Jared Goff outside the top 20 in deep ball pass attempts on playerprofiler.com. What do you think is going to happen in 2018 when their defense is improved and they still have Jared Goff and they still have Sean McVay and they have a league that now has a full year of film of Sean McVay working with Jared Goff? What do you think is going to happen this season in L.A.? Think it's going to be great? Think it's going to improve on last year? Or do you think there'll be a regression? You think there'll be a diminished returns on an offense that now has been exposed to the league and what it can do and what it can't do? Well, and this is a league that's all about making adjustments, whether it's making adjustments at halftime or making adjustments for the next season. I mean, that's that's what these guys do. And so, yeah, I'm with you. This is not... This was the the highest scoring offense in the league this year. It's not going to be next year. I don't own very many Rams. I own some Cooper Cup. I love that you do. I love that you came around to Cooper Cup, man. I love that. That that's my dude. I have some Cooper Cup. Here's the funny thing about Cooper Cup. One of the funny things about Cooper Cup is that I'm in a lot of these patron leagues. And the patron leagues that launched last year, the two patron leagues, it's hilarious. They refused to draft Cooper Cup. (laughs) In the third round, fourth round, they were not drafting Cooper Cup. And I was drafting Cooper Cup. And there was all this chatter on the message board. The Podfather drafting Cooper Cup. And I was like, guys, 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 listen, listen. Here's the thing. It's a show. (laughs) Yes, Cooper Cup is the white angel of death. I get it. And it's a nickname. But that doesn't mean you don't draft him at all. (laughs) Like He's the number one receiver on the Rams. You need to draft him once the third round rolls around. All I was saying was don't overdraft him. Don't draft him in the first round. I wasn't saying don't draft him at all in rookie drafts at all. So in the late third round, Cooper Cup becomes available after Kenny Galladay's off the board. I'm pushing the button on Cooper Cup because I'm not an idiot, Zach. I mean, of course I'm drafting Cooper Cup. So now I have Cooper Cup in multiple leagues because... The patrons believed in my takes more than I believed in my takes. Well, and there there comes a point where, you know, you can dislike the player, but the, the ADP and, and, and the, the value becomes real. And I'd even uh, argue that, that, you know, you talk about the running back renaissance. Cooper Cup has kind of been this, this portent issuing in uh, slot receivers. I, I think that the, the NFL is really using that, what we consider a secondary piece. So, you know, everyone hates on Jarvis Landry, but that type of player where you're seeing a lot more of those guys be valuable. I'm more apt to draft Jarvis Landry this year than I am Josh Gordon. Yeah. I'm more oh. apt to draft Cooper Cup than I am Brandon Cooks because there's a chance that the majority of of top 24 wide receivers gain most of their production out of the slot this season. Yeah. The league is transitioning to a slot receiver league, and you need to adjust to that. And if you're not drafting Cooper Cup over Brandon Cooks, and if you're not drafting a Taewon Taylor instead of paying the premium on Corey Davis, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and then, and the the value with, with the slot guys too, because – 
I'm sure most of your leagues are, are at least some PPR. So you're, you're grabbing that floor because those are the guys who are seeing the easy targets. And I think that, I mean, this, this all correlates. It's just, it's this big puzzle, but you look at the, the, the quarterback situations. Well, the quarterback situations there, it's a, a young set of quarterbacks who are coming in and they're, they're replacing this old guard. So Peyton Manning is gone. It's very exciting. The quarterback position has never been deeper. But but they're also making uh, the the game easier on these young quarterbacks. Well, how do you make it easier on a young quarterback? You you use a move tight end, you use a slot receiver, and you use a pass catching running back. So they're not they're not having to make these throws that you know Tom Brady or Drew Brees or you know or Peyton Manning was making in these windows. So Baker Mayfield's in a great situation in Cleveland yeah. with. David Njoku, Seth DeValve, Duke Johnson, Jarvis Landry. It's yeah, it's beautiful. Like he's he's being set up perfectly to succeed. You might say, oh, Baker Mayfield drafted by the Cleveland Browns, that's a big challenge. No. He's in the best possible position to succeed of all the rookie quarterbacks. It's crazy to think about, but it's true. No, I, I and I totally agree. And I think that even even Josh Rosen with the with the Cardinals has got Larry Fitzgerald right now, assuming you're assuming eventually he'll take over for Bradford, but he's got Larry Fitzgerald. I think Christian Kirk is another one of those guys who creates separation over the middle and makes those catches where, you know, he's giving the quarterback a little bit more of a window instead of instead of being a post up guy. I love that in, in Arizona where they have multiple slot receivers in Larry yeah. Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, and they just have J.J. Nelson just stretching the field. Running the deep ball, yeah. Like, hey, J.J. Nelson, just run a sprint on every play, occupy the free safety, that's fine. And we have Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk making moves off of one another. Oh, by the way, David Johnson. And getting open as long as J.J. Nelson is occupying two defensive backs. It's perfect. Yeah, it's it's absolutely beautiful. And I, and I think that that's the... That's the trick here is, you know, when we're playing fantasy football and, and dynasty, you've got to be looking at the trends in the NFL and, and getting out ahead of that. And, and, and that's where you win is kind of reading the tea leaves. Uh, and, and look, this is I know you're a Patriots guy. I, I'm, a, I'm in Maine. I'm a Patriots fan. More of a Browns guy now. But yeah, ever since the pictures of Tom Brady came out where he doesn't look in shape. We got Fat Brady now. That's pretty rude, Zach. <laughs> but but I'm I'm talking about the the philosophy of the team and and being on the cutting edge. So you know you, you would agree that Belichick kind of figures out what the next step is and is ahead of the game. And I think Cleveland is doing a very good job with that. And I think oh you saw that in Philadelphia too. But but you've got these teams that are now you know utilizing these positions that haven't been utilized. So the defense hasn't, you know, adjusted. So slot receivers, pass catching running backs, you know, move tight ends. These are where you're gaining advantages. So all the positions that the Cowboys have neglected. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the least forward looking franchise has none of those. And they've got a perfect quarterback for a system like that because Dak doesn't throw that post. Dak needs a window. Dak needs somebody like Cole Beasley to get that two-foot separation so he says, you're open. I mean, I think that you saw that with with Dak and Dez not meshing. 
because Dez is a post-up guy. Dez is a guy who creates his separation being physical, and so uh, he can be open with a defender on his hip, but not open to what Prescott is seeing. And so, exactly, I mean, Dallas has kind of run run themselves into the ground just by not by not looking forward. I mean, they're still trying to do the four yards in a cloud of dust with with Ezekiel Elliott, and and that's I mean, look where you end up. Yeah, they're not going to be good. That's the problem. It's cool that Ezekiel Elliott could rush for 2,000 yards and 20 touchdowns. Like, that could happen, but that doesn't mean that the team's going to be good. If he does that, it guarantees the team will not be good. Ezekiel Elliott could be amazing for fantasy, guaranteeing the team is terrible. And and how easy would it be? And it's not going to happen because Jason Garrett's there. And I know you're not a I know you're not a coaching matters kind of guy, but more often than not, when the coaches make a big impact, it's that they are dooming yeah their team to inefficiency, like John Fox in Chicago last season. A coach can more easily throttle a player than they can unlock a player. And that's what Jason Garrett has been doing for many years, throttling his own players. Let's imagine imagine giving Ezekiel Elliott eighty targets out of the backfield. Imagine imagine what that would look like. I mean, I, with with you know the the carries that he gets plus another forty or fifty catches. I mean, you're talking you're pushing a four hundred point season in in fantasy and PPR easily easily just oh, on volume crazy. alone. If yeah. Ezekiel Elliott stays healthy. We're talking number one running back in all formats. We're talking about number one running back in standard by a long shot, by a wide margin, and then number one in PPR beating David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. It's crazy. Yeah, but 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 I got to reel you back in because Jason Garrett's there, and he's just going to put the ball in Zeke's belly, and and that's going to be it. And we'll we'll try to throw to Michael Gallup a couple times, and you know, drop your voice. That's it. If Michael Gallup even sees the field, yeah, that's the problem. Michael Gallup is a rookie, and rookies don't play on teams run by archaic coaches like Jason Garrett. Yeah, but Terrence Williams can block. He Terrence Williams can block. He's got to be on the field, doesn't Terrence he? Terrence Williams can block. <laughs> Cole Beasley is a veteran. Alan Hearns was signed to be the main guy. That leaves Michael Gallup to play in Four receiver sets, Zach. That means he's not going to see the field. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Yeah, I'm with you. Talking about running backs. Which rookie running back are you highest on versus consensus? You're going to call me a homer, but it's Sony Michelle. Like I, I got him. I got him two overall. I got him behind Barkley. Really? I, I got him ahead of guys. Yes, I do. Ahead of guys? Ahead of guys. And I'll tell ahead you. Ahead of guys? <laughs> it's because. He catches the ball, and he's shown me he catches the ball. And you put him in that system in New England where they just took him as the second uh, or third overall running back. They took him in the first round. Uh, So you spent that draft capital. You've got an offense that produced the second most points to running backs last year in in fantasy. And it wouldn't surprise me if Belichick watched a little bit of what Sean Payton did with, with Ingram and Kamara and is looking at Burkhead and Sony Michelle as being that they both can do everything. And so it doesn't matter which one of them you have on the field. You can use them as a weapon in the passing game and the running game. And that looks to me like something 
that I want a piece of. I, I think that the idea that Burkhead could be Ingram is exciting. Yeah. Oh, I, I I completely agree because he's he's that he's that late round Patriots value pick again. Again, you've had one every year. You know, a couple of years ago, it was LeGarrette Blunt. What about James White? James White was the real MVP of the Super Bowl two years ago. He was, but he's he's steady. But I think that the combination of Michelle and Burke had give you something that he doesn't. And then if something happens, if Michelle fumbles. Yeah, I'm in trouble. I, or, or if somebody goes down, then you've got James White, and you go right back to your offense. That you know you've got a pass catching running back, and you've got a guy who who does a little of everything. But I, I really think that there's a reason, and I know that's a not a not great logic, but I think there's a reason the Patriots drafted Michelle in the first round, and I think it's because they're looking at him as being able to do what Deion Lewis did. Plus, I think he's a better runner between the tackles and Deion Lewis, he's a, he's a, a big back. Uh, but I also think that he's great in space. He's a good, a good pass catcher. He's a guy that when I watched, uh, play in college would get, I mean, he's not a, he's not a breakaway guy, but he's a guy who gets chunks. So every time he touches the ball, you're seeing him get five, 10, 20. And, and then having that, that dynamism when he catches it to house one, oh, man, that's, that's what I want. I want pass catching upside when I'm drafting and I I'm down on this running back class a little bit from consensus because I don't think there are the pass catchers in this class. And Sony Michelle is one. I mean Mark Walton can catch passes. Yep. Kalen Balage can catch passes. John Kelly, I know you John Kelly can catch passes. A lot of guys in this class can catch passes. It's not the day one day two guys that's all right well and i I think when we we get so enamored with these rookie picks and we're thinking they're all going to be rb1s you know they're all going to be top 12 and and we got spoiled last year and we saw kamara do it i really think they will be i think this is a running back renaissance type class and this is where the running back renaissance ends it ends with this class because the next class has very few good running backs in it but from Kerryon johnson to nick chubb rashad penny sony michelle there's a lot there's a lot. There's a lot yeah. of good running backs in this class who could exceed all expectations, especially someone like Karrion Johnson. He could really exceed expectations because the expectations are lowered by the presence of someone like LeGarrette Blunt. Please. Please. Yeah. I mean, and I, I agree to some extent. I'm lower on Karrion Johnson just because of Detroit. I want to see Detroit run the ball. They drafted Frank Ragnow. You familiar with this Frank Ragnow guy? This Frank Ragnow is quite something. Oh, yeah, he's a road grader. This Frank Ragnow is a future Hall of Famer at the center position. This guy is a Marvel Comics superhero (laughs) at the center position. They've upgraded their offensive line more than any other team. Zach, you need to get with it. (laughs) No, I'm with you there. I just want to see it. The funny thing, though... A lot of people are, are off Carrion Johnson because LeGarrette Blunt is there. I'm on Carrion Johnson because of Frank Ragnow because I focus on the right details. Carrion Johnson is great at the goal line. He's great in general. The only reason he wasn't better last year is because they constantly ran these direct snaps to Carrion yeah. Johnson, keying the defense to the fact that it was a run play every time. The defense every time in the SEC knew it was going to be a run play. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> he 
gained positive yardage in spite of the fact that his offense was so uncreative to let defense know that it was going to be a run play every time. Direct snap to the running back? Give me a break. Yeah, gross. I mean, talk about handcuffing your players. It was gross. It was gross. What about wide receiver? Which wide receiver are you highest on versus consensus? This is going to be my Cooper Cup guy. I, Christian Kirk, man. Christian Kirk over in Arizona. You, you've got Bradley there, assuming he's healthy, who is a you know an accurate quarterback, targets a slot guy. You've got Rosen coming in behind him, who he made Jordan Lasley look good last year. I mean, Rosen is a guy who throws that slant better than anybody in this class, and he hits receivers in stride, and you couple that with Christian Kirk's ability to run after the catch. Oof. Man, I think that that is just beautiful. Christian Kirk was a special team's ace. That's it. The yak. That's it. The correlation. Kick return, yards after the catch. I mean, it's essentially the same thing, returning a punt. And and so, look, I, like he's a guy that I've seen drop a little bit in rookie drafts because people are on Anthony Miller or people are on uh, Calvin Ridley. Big mistake. We have Christian Kirk as our number two receiver on our rookie rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Love it. Love it. Of course we have him number two. We have him number two after DJ Moore because we know what we're doing. What about rookie quarterbacks? Which rookie quarterback will bust and you can't say Josh Allen? Well, then the easy answer there is just stay in the AFC East and, and go Jets, go Darnold. I feel the same way. I have a bad feeling about Darnold. I can't draft him. I have a weird feeling about Darnold, man. I, I feel bad because he's he's good in flashes. Like, he'll go and throw a deep ball, and it's absolutely beautiful. And then the next ball will be a duck. That guy is very scary to me. He looks good in college, but the repeatability is what we criticize Josh Allen for. Meanwhile, the criticism also applies to Sam Darnold. I'm terrified of this guy. Well, and, and Darnold has got issues, not just, he's got that long throwing motion, which, fine, he gets the ball delivered where he, he wants to, but he's also got uh, issues with, with his, his base, his feet, and so he's got to have a clean pocket, and I, I, I am, I'm really worried about him in, in New York. I, just, I am too. I'm really worried about Sam Darnold. What about tight ends? You drafting any of these tight ends? Uh, normally, I, I'm off tight ends in a rookie draft. Uh, you know, I, you, you like Gasecki's talent, but he's going eh. in the early second. If if I'm going to get any of these guys, it's probably Dallas Goddard right now. Yes, yes, yes. He's he's dropping because Ertz is there, and Ertz is a top three tight end. Get Goddard! Get Goddard! That's it. Golden opportunity to get a top tight end talent in a rookie draft at value in the third round. Exactly. I mean, and that's you're you're now you're just throwing twenty percent darts. Well, you got to, for my money, he was the the best tight end as far as hands Easy. and 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 running routes. I mean, like this guy catches everything. He's a magnet. I wouldn't be surprised if a year from now they're thinking, man, this Goddard guy is better than Ertz. Yeah, well, I tell you, I, I even this year. So you talked about the the Scott Fishbowl last week, and and I actually took Goddard in the Scott Fishbowl toward the end. What? What? Look, I I ran the same the same scheme last year where I I punted tight end even though it's tight end premium. 
because you can if if Goddard gets three weeks of tight end one production like like Trey Burton got for me last year. If Ertz goes down, it's gonna be bananas for Goddard. And so that that to me is not only are you getting a tight end for the future in Dynasty, but you've also got a chance to to plug him in. I, I stream tight end because the tight end is an absolute wasteland. It's a it's desolate. And and so if I can get a, a tight end who can give me three or four weeks in the third round of a rookie draft, yeah, give me that. I did draft some Ian Thomas in addition to Dallas Goddard. Those are the only two tight ends I've drafted in rookie drafts. I don't mind that. The other the other one I might throw a dart at is Fumagalli, who's not even being drafted unless you're going six rounds deep. But Denver is a who knows, and so that's a at least something to throw you know throw a dart at. If you if you go five rounds in your rookie draft and you know happen to have an extra fifth, that's that's all right. I don't hate it. While we're talking about the Scott Fishbowl, I'm obliged to give you my tight end roster in the Scott Fishbowl. All right, let's hear it. Steven Anderson, Tyler Eifert, Gerald Everett, Austin Hooper, O.J. Howard, Greg Olson. Those are my six tight ends I drafted in the Scott Fishbowl. <laughs> you went, went heavy with the tight end premium. Of course, of course. If Tyler Eifert's back and healthy, it's a great pick. If Gerald Everett secures that starting job, it's a great pick. If Austin Hooper is just Austin Hooper, it's a great pick. O.J. Howard, I mean, O.J. Howard is easily the best tight end in Tampa. I love O.J. Howard. The O.J. Howard versus Cameron Brake comparison is similar to the David Njoku versus Seth DeValve comparison. (laughs) Seth DeValve commanded... A significant amount of targets week in, week out. Go look at the South DeValve game log. It doesn't look that much different from the Cameron Brait game log. Everyone thinks of Cameron Brait as being this big threat to O.J. Howard, but oh, no, 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 no. Seth DeValve is not a threat to David Njoku. Wake up. They're equally threatening. Both Seth DeValve and Cameron Brait are move tight ends from Harvard. I mean, they're from <laughs> both. They're both from Harvard. I mean, it's crazy. Brait went to Princeton. Whatever. They're both athletic tight ends from Harvard. Seth DeValve happens to be more athletic. And they're both threats to the stud tight ends that are David Njoku and O.J. Howard. But none is more of a threat than the other. That's my point. Cameron Brait is Seth DeValve. Seth DeValve is Cameron Brait. And what's the difference at that point? The difference is the offense. I'm betting on the Bucks offense more than the Browns offense. That's why... I drafted O.J. Howard over David Njoku, and I'm not sorry about it. And if you go to our draft kit, fantasy-draftkit.com, you'll see that on our projections and in our cheat sheet, O.J. Howard is ranked ahead of David Njoku because it's rational. Yeah. Look, at that point, you're you're firing for for touchdown upside. O.J. Howard has got that. Give me O.J. Howard, man. Yeah, I'm, I, I love it. He's he's going to be in at the goal line. He's going to be able to hit that little, you know, that that chip screen and then slip it. Woo! And you know, in in goal line situations, I mean, he had six touchdowns last year. OJ Howard had six touchdowns. Yeah, it's crazy. And going forward, I mean, Scott Fish is a is a redraft league, but but going forward, OJ Howard, man, he's got that profile that I want in a tight end. I want the tight end who's on the field all the time. All the time. Blocking, catching, does it all. Wins in all phases. Thank you very much. Yes, O.J. Howard, please. 
I'm in tight end premium leagues, and I own O.J. Howard. I could have had quarterbacks in super flex leagues with tight end premium, and I chose David Njoku and O.J. Howard a year ago, and I'm happy about it. Yeah, I mean, look, elite, elite tight ends give you an advantage. And if they get up to that upper echelon, if they replace Gronk and Kelsey, Oof. you know, in, in two or three years, I mean, you, you just separated yourself from the pack big time there. Absolutely. With, with rookie picks. Now give me the rookie from this season that will bust. This one's too easy. It's, it's Ronald Jones, and it's not close. Yes. And the reason it's Ronald Jones is because he landed in the very best spot possible for a running back. Except for it's not at all. Like it, it looked like it looked like the cushy spot. Ronald Jones is not a pass catcher. He didn't catch the ball in college. And if you think Dirk Cutter is going to be the guy who transitions him to a pass catcher, you're wrong. And so now you've got a one-dimensional home run hitter who's a little on the small side in an offense that's featuring Jameis Winston, Mike Evans, uh, Deshaun Jackson. Chris Godwin, I mean, like, O.J. Howard. like A lot of weapons not named Ronald Jones. Exactly. And so that, that to me, is that, that's a shoe-in. And we were really excited. Uh, Kyle, the, my co-host with the, with the Dummies, does a, a cheat sheet where he plugs in metrics from all over the place. And, uh, and he, it, it came out, and Tampa was the, the best spot for a running back to land. And Ronald Jones was one of the worst of the of the upper echelon running backs and so it just kind of imploded i mean it, it was it kind of it, it negated each other it, it evened everything out and so you just I, i'm i'm not excited i just i can't get behind ronald jones he's he's my pick to bust there's so many people that think that they understand what dirt cutter is going to do in tampa bay and i feel like this <laughs> is when the two-dimensional thinking of redraft leagues infects dynasty it's a plague at this time of year when the redrafters start talking dynasty. It's my least favorite time of the year when the redrafters start talking dynasty. I mean, I can't run away fast enough from that analysis. I mean, fade O.J. Howard because of Cameron Brait. Oh, O.J. Howard can't be a tight end one this year. It's impossible. I mean, Cameron Brait's there. I mean, are these people in Tampa Bay Buccaneers Meetings? They they understand the snap shares and the roles of these players? No, they don't. They just think, oh, well, this many fantasy points for Cameron Brait, this many fantasy points for O.J. Howard. We can't draft O.J. Howard. Stop it! Stop talking! <laughs> this is a dynasty league. Stop it! I'm buying Chris Godwin because he's going to be great for the next 10 years. I don't care about Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> Why are you talking about Deshaun Jackson to me? In a Dynasty League context, I don't care about Deshaun Jackson in a Dynasty League. Shut up. But this becomes a lucrative time of year, though, because you can you can make trades for the guys last year. So Chris Godwin is a prime example oh. of this, where last year he got some hype. And so his, his value went up and his price to, to acquire him went up. And now all of a sudden you've got the, the infiltration of, of redraft coming back and his value is down. Well, you can capitalize on that. I mean, I, look, it's, it, it gets tedious listening to. It gets, it gets frustrating trying to explain why 
uh, Christian McCaffrey is the running back to own in uh, Carolina instead of C.J. Anderson, even though C.J. Anderson was just signed. It's tedious to explain that O.J. Howard is the guy you want in Dynasty, not Cameron Bate. Thank you. Thank you. Too tedious to explain. Like, I don't even want to explain it. If you don't get it, <laughs> just go away. And, and I'll tell you, it's it's, a, it's worse depending on the, the platform. Like, I'm on social media. I got I to gotta beat the bushes. I got to get out there and, and plug my show because we don't have the reach. What's that show again that you do? The Dynasty Dummies. Thank you. Dynasty Dummies. On iTunes, just search Dynasty Dummies. We're, we're everywhere, all platforms. But I'm, I'm out there on social media, so I'm on Twitter interacting, and I'm on Reddit interacting, and I'm on Facebook interacting, and it's you get a little spoiled on Twitter because you've got a little bit of the echo chamber and there are a lot of analysts on, and so you don't get the feedback from the redraft community as much. But, wow, like I... I got in a I got in a, a a battle over Christian McCaffrey the other day, and and all of a sudden I was it was like uh, the Jurassic Park with all the the compies where where the little dinosaurs all surround the guy and then you know all attack at once and and you just have no no chance you don't survive. They were they were you know after me that because C.J. Anderson got paid one point seven five million dollars he's the guy. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. He's the guy in Carolina, not Christian McCaffrey. This irrational obsession over a player's 2018 target share and how it may be impacted by the presence of a Cameron Brait or C.J. Anderson provides a buying opportunity in Dynasty. You see this all the time, this two-dimensional thinking. It is a plague this time of year. When redrafters start talking Dynasty, those conversations permeate the collective consciousness of the Dynasty League community. Dynasty Leaguers are trading O.J. Howard because of Cameron Bright. Thinking, well, I can just get Howard next season, knowing that he can't be a tight end one this year. Are you in the Bucks meetings? Do you know what Dirk Cutter's plans are for O.J. Howard this year? Are you fading Chris Godwin because of the presence of Deshaun Jackson? You're foregoing Chris Godwin this season, thinking you can just trade for him at the end of the year or next offseason because the presence of Deshaun Jackson will ensure that Chris Godwin's target share remains muted? Is this because Deshaun Jackson is this picture of health and vitality? He He's never hurt. <laughs> he never blows out a hamstring. Deshaun Jackson. Oh, no. And NFL wide receivers in general, they never get hurt, right? They never underperform expectations. No. The preseason projected target share is what we will see from each and every team this season, right? Every wide receiver on every team will meet or exceed expectations and won't get hurt. Oh, exactly. Right. It's <laughs> dynasty. You own these players for life and you need to get them before their value pops. You can't expect best case scenario for their value to remain depreciated so that you can get cute in the offseason. That's not how this works. Any number of external forces can propel an O.J. Howard and a Chris Godwin this season, 2018. So it's imperative you get them on your roster now and you don't allow this two-dimensional seasonal league thinking to infect good dynasty judgment. Yeah, and that's exactly why the listeners of, of you know Roto Underworld and the Sonic Truth are going to 
win their leagues, not just this year, but going forward, because you have this uh, influx of redraft right now. And I'm sure that you uh, are, are sick and tired of trying to explain why Chris Godwin is going to be the next man up and why he's going to be a fantasy asset. That's always the question. For the future. Show me the targets this season. How is he going to get targets this season? How is he going to get targets this season? Are you worried about Cameron Bright? Are you worried about Cameron Bright? No! I'm not worried <laughs> about Cameron fucking Bright! I only care about O.J. Howard. In Dynasty, eventually, the best players secure the highest target shares. And we don't know when exactly that's going to happen. So you just need to have them on the roster in preparation for the day that it does happen. And if your expectation of yourself is that you can call the week or the year that a player finally breaks through and becomes a consistent weekly performer and his valuation spikes, well, you're asking too much of yourself because no one's that smart. There are no fortune tellers in this community. OJ Howard looks like the guys at the top of the position. OJ Howard is the three down tight end. He's the blocking tight end with he had six touchdowns last year. Six. Yeah, and most of them came on either long passes down the seam or yeah. evaded tackles that propelled huge yards after the catch runs. A la Travis Kelsey. Exactly. He's he's that guy that's going to be in there. He he's a he's a blocker, and that's what uh, that's what the redraft crowd is shying away from because Cameron Braid is that move tight end. OJ Howard is your traditional three down tight end. He's that Gronkowski Kelsey mold where he's going to be in all game situations. That's a great point. In Dynasty, I am looking for tight ends with blocking capability. Give me the tight end with the all-purpose inline profile. The 260-pound athletic two-way tight end. Those are the tight ends I try to hoard as much as possible in Dynasty. In particular, tight end premium leagues. I'm in a tight end premium league where I own both David Njoku and OJ Howard. I traded up into the first round last year in tight end premium so I could monopolize the two best rookie tight ends because I knew that it was a generational tight end class and that we are on the precipice of a tight end renaissance. Yeah, and it's and it's those guys. Like uh, Evan Ingram and the Jordan Reed type, like those are the flashy, those are the shiny toys, those are the guys who you know, everybody looks to because it's easy to see them as receivers, but they're not the guys that are going to be the dominant tight ends of this era. It's going to be the Njoku. It's going to be OJ Howard. It's going to be those two-way tight ends. That's that's how it is. The move tight end does not endure like the two-way tight end does. Give me the tight end that's able to block in line and is always a key member of all formations, all packages, especially inside the five-yard line. That's the scoring zone for tight ends. The, the last thing I want is a 235-pound tight end that's pulled off the field inside the five-yard line. Why the hell would you invest significant capital of any kind in Dynasty in a tight end with that profile? No way. Right. You, you want the guy who has that little chip block, slip screen, touchdown. There's six. That's how Adam Shaheen can score more touchdowns this season, this season, than Trey Burton. I like it. Trey Burton will outscore Adam Shaheen in fantasy football. Understood. But no one would be surprised when Adam Shaheen scores more touchdowns because he's the one running that route 
across the back of the end zone on the Mitchell Trubisky rollout. It's not Trey Burton if he's on the field at all. In the long run, Adam Shaheen will be more productive on a weekly basis than Trey Burton. Trey Burton is a pumped-up wide receiver. They have a shorter shelf life than the athletic two-way tight ends that look a lot more like Adam Shaheen than they do Trey Burton. That's why I have a lot of Adam Shaheen, no Trey Burton. I got a lot of David Njoku and O.J. Howard, no Evan Ingram. Yeah, I'm with you. That's that's a, that's exactly how I, I, I'm building. I mean, I'm a it's a tight end wasteland right now. I mean, are you drafting any of these rookie tight ends this season? No, I mean the the only the only one right now who's slipping far enough for me to draft is Dallas Goddard. Right. Yeah, Dallas Goddard is the guy. He's one of my highest owned players across all teams, all formats. However, there's another name, and that's Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas is available at the end of the fourth round and. In cases where he falls into free agency in single tight end leagues, I've been able to outbid my opponents and slide Ian Thomas onto that taxi squad. And I love sneaking Ian Thomas onto a taxi squad for next season. I know that Greg Olson signed a two-year contract, but really what that did was guarantee that he would have a major role on the offense this season, but that does not mean he won't retire next season. And if Greg Olson retires next season, it is going to be wheels up for Ian Thomas, who was one of the most impressive tight ends in this class. But he fell to the fourth round. But Marcus Mosier shared an interesting detail about the draft on the Sonic Truth program, that the first pick in the fourth round is an important pick because the teams have a chance to digest all the events of the first three rounds and then propose trade-ups for those early fourth-round picks once the dust has settled and they have all night and the early morning hours to make deals. The Carolina Panthers had a number of phone calls trade up to that 401 slot, and they were not listening. They refused to listen to offers because they were locked in on one player and one player alone in the fourth round, and that was Ian Thomas, the future of the franchise at the tight end position. Looks a lot like what happened last year with John o. Smith, where where you've got an heir apparent to a very productive tight end uh, who's who's been drafted late, who the community is sleeping on. That's that's beautiful. I mean, that's that's gold. If you can get a late round tight end who in two, three years can sneak into the top 10, you're winning. It's the same principle that we talked about with O.J. Howard. That the 2018 opportunity share is not apparent, so fantasy gamers aren't interested, even dynasty leaguers, because they've lost sight of the player's profile, and they're thinking two-dimensionally. Whereas if you zoom out and you look at Ian Thomas's profile on playerprofiler.com, what do you see? 6'4", 260, the size and the center of gravity to be a great blocker, and then, of course, the athleticism, 124.5, 83rd percentile burst score, as well as an agility score above the 75th percentile, and an 83rd percentile catch radius. And I love agile tight ends. I love tight ends that are able to operate laterally across the middle of the field. That's so important in those tight spaces to be nimble, to have that lateral quickness. That's what Ian Thomas brings to the table. And he was also a productive player at Indiana, 19.1, 56th percentile dominator rating. You got to at least have a dominator rating above the 50th percentile. Show me, yes, that you're good at football, that you're a competent route runner and pass catcher. After that, it's all about development. It's all about learning that craft, which is the most difficult craft to learn at the NFL level other than quarterback because you're learning all the blocking assignments for all the run plays, 
And then you're learning how to run all the routes from both sides of the line of scrimmage and from the slot. Think about how complicated that is. So it makes sense that the breakout arc of a tight end is elongated. It's super intuitive. So knowing the vast majority of tight ends are not going to be productive as rookies, why not take the most buried rookie with the best profile who is the least expensive, and that's Ian Thomas. Yeah, but you got to be patient, too, with these guys. And that's that's a thing that, that we're missing. And we McDonaldized society. We're, we want our burgers fast. We want our, our tight ends fast. We want, you know, we want everybody to produce now when we draft them. Tight ends don't produce until 26, 27, 28, 29. I mean, that's peak tight end. And so, look, stashing one of these guys on the end of your bench, what's going to be more beneficial to you? Stashing Ian Thomas, who in two years has a chance to be a top 10 or 12 or 14 tight end, or stashing a running back six or seven at the end of your bench. It's, it's, the, it's the tight end one. Ian Thomas reminds me of George Kittle last season. George Kittle parked behind Vance McDonald, and there was not a clear path to playing time. And then, oh, oh, what happens? Oh, guess what, Zach? When you own these players for life, you get to take advantage of all the serendipitous events, like Vance McDonald getting traded, because that's what happens. When you're good enough, you command opportunity. You force the franchise to put you in a position to succeed as long as you're demonstrating excellent play on the practice field. And if you zoom out and look at the player's profile and you have determined, yes, this guy's good, and not only good, he might be great, well, leave it up to him to carve out his own opportunity. And if you're using tools like Player Profiler to make those decisions, you'd be surprised how often that happens. Just a serendipitous bluebird just fluttering over and perching on your knee. How is this possible? Is this a dream? How is this happening? It's not a dream. It's playerprofiler.com. <laughs> oh. Sometimes I just can't keep a straight face. <laughs> the hyperbole is just too absurd. I just can't. Oh, it's beautiful, though. I can't keep a straight face. Oh, <laughs> oh. Waxing poetic about my own fucking website. <laughs> so what about rookie wide receivers? You talked about... Ronald Jones is your number one bust candidate at running back. He's Kenyon Drake with a college resume. Who's your number one bust candidate at wide receiver? My bust at wide receiver is is Calvin Ridley. And and I think that people are drafting him second in this class among receivers, thinking he's going to be a, a number one wide receiver. Well, draft capital. Oh, draft capital. Oh, the draft capital zombies. Draft capital. And then what happens? And, Julio Jones goes out and signs a contract extension. And it's it's a little bit of this like Philip Dorsett trap to me, where he's fast and he does a few things well, but but he's not strong uh, with the ball. He's not strong fighting the defender. And so, great, he's a burner, but you're never going to get enough volume as a burner to be a viable wide receiver on my dynasty team. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go grab somebody else. I'm going to go grab, you know, Christian Kirk. It doesn't make sense to me that the second receiver off the board would have such a low ceiling. He's a burner who's also a great route runner. But if you're six foot one, 190 pounds, there are very few wide receiver one comps for that body type. 
It's just that simple. I don't need to look at any other stats. I just need to look at the body type and the athleticism. And I'm not impressed because I have yet to see a wide receiver one that looks like Calvin Ridley. He looks like a complimentary receiver at the NFL level. And we can get complimentary receivers in the fourth round of rookie drafts. Don't need to use a first round pick. <laughs> what? what? Yeah, exactly. And that's he's he's one of the worst after the catch with with yards after catch receive for being as fast as he is. I mean, he's a four four guy. Like he's fast. That's what happens when you have such a low BMI. You're svelte. You're easy to bring down once the ball is in your hands. You know how Golden Tate always leads the league in yards after the catch per target. Why is that? The low center of gravity because he's 5'10", over 200 pounds. Calvin Ridley is the anti-Golden Tate. He has a high center of gravity. So it makes sense that his yards after the catch would be negative. He might have the worst yards after the catch per target this season. If there were advanced metrics props in Vegas, and one for yards after the catch per target, you would bet on Calvin Ridley finishing last in that metric. Yeah, exactly. And and he's sliding into that. Taylor Gabriel role, you know, you assume, well, that was 50 targets last year. So if you've got a guy who, who can't make plays after the catch on 50 targets, what are you talking? That's not a guy I'm interested in spending a first-round pick on. He won't out-target Mohamed Sanu. The question is, can he out-target Austin Hooper? That's the question. Can he out-target Austin Hooper? And I don't like his chances. So I am currently in Maine. You live in Maine. So we're podcasting from Maine, but not in the same location, unfortunately. That would be fun if we were in the same location. And I'm here for a guy's weekend trip, a golf outing. What's your favorite guy's weekend trip? Is it sports? Is it outdoors? What is it? Oh, we're, we're going outdoors. We're going up to Katahdin, you know, something like that. Throw some bacon, some uh, steak, go up to Chimney Pond, hit up the campground, that sort of thing. I mean, that's good, but I don't, I don't get that very often because... Like a fly fishing weekend? That's your ideal yeah, so, is a fly fishing that's, weekend? That's, that's beautiful. Somewhere, somewhere out of here. I get, I get two kids away from the kids where it's quiet. No Thomas the Train. Well, well, that goes without saying, Zach, that on a guy's weekend, there would be no Thomas the Train. That's the whole point. <laughs> we're trying to get more specific than that. So, look, we're, we're up to Chimney Pond. We got the campground. Maybe we take a trip across the knife's edge. I mean, that sort of thing. So you're a big campfire guy. I like that. Yeah. Right. No technology. Rustic guy's weekend. Yeah, give give me out of get me out of the city. I love it. I gotta try that. I wanna learn how to fly fish. That's my next big to do. Get that fly fishing wrist flick down. That's it. It's all in the wrist, man. Can't wait. Marcus Mariota has a nice wrist flick, but there's not enough Marcus Mariota talk right now. Have you noticed that? It's eerily quiet around Marcus Mariota, even though he has the coaching change and we're assuming a positive mean reversion, yet still no talk of Marcus Mariota. Plenty of Corey Davis is going to break out talk, but not Marcus Mariota. Very weird. Uh, how can you How can you have a Corey Davis breakout? How can you love Deion Lewis and not love Mariota? I, Mariota is the type of quarterback that I absolutely love, and I've been on him. You had the Winston-Mariota debate at the beginning of their career. Mariota is the guy who is accurate. And to me, if you have the accurate quarterback who has a low volume, the easy fixes increase that volume. And now all of a sudden he becomes prolific. That's the Russell Wilson corollary. Exactly. The mobile, accurate quarterback. All you need to do is add volume and voila, top five quarterback. Exactly. And that's that's the reason why I've had him above Winston. That's the reason why. That's not exactly a hot take anymore. 
Well, not anymore. That used to be a hot take. It's so funny how times have changed with Jameis Winston and sensibilities have shifted <laughs> that the consensus was Jameis Winston is a better dynasty asset than Marcus Mariota, and now everyone is running and hiding from Jameis Winston because he can't keep his hands to himself in a taxi. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. How about this? I got Mariota as my number eight quarterback in Dynasty. Well, I'll go one better. Marcus Mariota is my highest-owned quarterback across all leagues. My highest-owned quarterback is Marcus Mariota. My highest-owned tight end, as I mentioned, is Dallas Goddard. And on playerprofiler.com, we have Marcus Mariota as our drum roll. Number eight quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Full disclosure, we recently moved Patrick Mahomes ahead of Marcus Mariota. Had to do it. I haven't been able to do that yet. I, I'm, I, may, I may get there. I mean, he's got the weapons. Had to do it. But we're not moving Jimmy Garoppolo ahead of him. Oh, no. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to prove it for more than five games to move ahead of Marcus Mariota. But Patrick Mahomes' skill set is on another planet. So that, that's what gets him ahead of Garoppolo and Mariota on our rankings. I own Mariota in every type of league. One quarterback, super flex, certainly two quarterback, and on my Reality Sports Online rosters as well. Because when you build your roster on Reality Sports Online, it's not a snake draft. If you think about it, a snake draft is a pretty dumb way to conduct a dynasty startup. Reality Sports Online administers a startup auction. So you get to start your dynasty roster with the players you prefer. You don't have to wait in line to draft your favorite players and hope they're available. You get to build your ideal roster based on your preferences. If you love five players, you can go out and make sure that those five players are on your roster no matter what. You may not have any more money left. Your roster, your roster configuration may be terrible, but you will own those players. And that, to me is a rational way to build a dynasty roster. If you want to take fantasy football dynasty leagues seriously without adding complexity, you go to Reality Sports Online, and when you do, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get 10% off your team or league today. July is almost over. If you don't start your dynasty league now, you're going to have to wait until next offseason. So do it. Do it now. Go to Reality Sports Online. Use that promo code UNDERWORLD. Make it happen. Fantasy just got real at Reality Sports Online. It's also eerily quiet around Derrick Henry right now. Are you noticing that as well? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting. That to me is the the pass catching. And you're at fault for this, and and so am I because we talk so much about the value of receptions that people are down on Jordan Howard. They're down on Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry is the funny one because people have been waiting for him for, for two years now. It's happening, man. This is exciting. It's happening. Why not get excited? How is the presence of a satellite back in Deion Lewis nullifying all the Derrick Henry enthusiasm? It's weird. Derrick Henry's going behind Ronald Jones in startups right now. This is what I'm talking about. This doesn't make any sense. It's happening. Derrick Henry was a prolific producer at Alabama. People are more excited about Kenyon Drake, who was Derrick Henry's backup at Alabama. Kenyon Drake couldn't get on the field because of Derrick Henry at Alabama. And now there's more excitement around Kenyon Drake for some reason. Doesn't make any sense. And I recently tweeted, and this is great, 
that Miami drafting a big back who runs small, shout out to Kalen Balazs, <laughs> and starting a satellite back who can't catch is one of the more dolphin storylines of the season. And guess what happened? Can you guess what happened? Guess what happened, Zach? That's what, they, what they're going to do. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. Kenyon Drake talk star? Actual fantasy analysts took that tweet literally. Literally. <laughs> taking the opportunity to explain to me that Kenyon Drake does have hands. <laughs> right. <laughs> Going back through all of his targets and counting his drops. Taking copious notes about Kenyon Drake's route running last season. And sending me these detailed reports. <laughs> I didn't say he can't catch. Andre Williams can catch. They do have the ability to catch. But for Kenyon Drake, it's clear. Catching the football is not a strength. No one thinks that Kenyon Drake's strength is catching the ball out of the backfield. And my problem with Kenyon Drake is he fits the profile of a satellite back whose strength should be catching the football. If he were a strong pass catcher, I would be buying Kenyon Drake knowing that even if he doesn't become an every down back this season, which I don't think he is and I don't think he can be based on his slight frame, for the same reasons I believe Calvin Ridley has a low ceiling, I also believe Kenyon Drake has a lower ceiling than most fantasy analysts understand. Because at 6'1", 212, he's in the bottom 10 percentile of running back BMI. He has a high center of gravity, and high center of gravity running backs do not endure in the NFL. They are not durable. Not comma, period. Even a running back that can outrun all the defenders on the field like a Jamal Charles, you try to give him an every down workload, he's going to break down. It makes no sense to me. Why are fantasy analysts so enthusiastic about Kenyon Drake, who had no college resume coming into the NFL, was banished on the depth chart initially, and then only rose up the depth chart once there was no more talent left, once Jay Ajayi was gone. So I don't understand this enthusiasm around a player with an exceedingly small sample to work from. We're talking about a half a season of performance that you're then extrapolating in order to justify his ADP in seasonal leagues and in dynasty startups, and I don't get it. Well, and, and that's it. It's the easy extrapolation. It's the, hey, he caught 32 or had 32 targets in the last six games. You extrapolate that out. That's 90 targets. He's in line to maybe catch 60 balls, and that's what that's what they're seeing. But then you're assuming health. You're assuming volume. You're assuming that Frank Gore isn't going to come in and, and take touches away, which he may. What do you mean may? He's there for a reason. He's there to take the goal line work. He's there for the short yardage carries. He's there for the leadership. He's going to throttle Kenyon Drake's opportunity share. That's why... Frank Gore exists. He's a zombie running back who only exists to diminish the fantasy potential of his teammates. <laughs> That's his new mission in life. So does that mean we're on Balage? Is Balage going to come in and, and take the passing work there? No, 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 no. The point is, you don't invest in dolphins. The point is dolphins. That was the point of my tweet. This is what is so maddening. The fantasy analysts would object to the minutiae of a tweet and completely <laughs> missed the point of the message. The message was the dolphins are hilarious. It was not that the point of the tweet was not that Kenyon Drake is incapable of ever squeezing a football such that he converts a reception. That's not what I was saying. 
<laughs> it's infuriating that this happens to me. It was a great tweet. Enjoy it. Like it. Retweet it. But I'm not here to argue the minutia of the word choice. Yes, I could have said that running routes and securing receptions in space is not a particular strength of Kenyon Drake. Sure, Twitter allows that now that they doubled the word count, but it's not poetic or had any humor whatsoever. It would have been long-winded and completely superfluous. But that's the problem. So many fantasy analysts are simply humorless. Have you listened to a fantasy football podcast recently? <laughs> it's dumbfounding to me. This isn't merely a game. This is literally. Now, this I'm actually saying literally. This is not figurative. Like my Kenyon Drake, Kalen Balaj, Dolphins tweet. This is literal. The game of fantasy football is literally a proxy of yet another game. It is a game within a game. And this is the area where we choose to take ourselves seriously. I, I just can't believe it. I, I just, it's stunning to me. It, it's stunning, and it made me hashtag sad. All I want are clever responses and rebuttals and to build on the humor, right? Let's go make fun of the dolphins, everybody. Yeah! No, 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 no. You, you want to know why? You want to know why? Because the pod father was critical of a player, Zach, and that's what you cannot do. And that's why all fantasy analysts eventually just give up on criticizing players. It's not worth it. You might as well just go superimpose a face of every player on a flag and just one after another go out, run back and forth across your lawn, waving a flag with every player's face on it. Why? Because it's not worth criticizing players. Because in your swarm of followers, there will be a handful of zealots who will defend that player to the death. And if there's even a hint of negativity in your tweet about that player, they will rush to that player's defense. And then it's not fun anymore. But I will not allow this zeal to defend your shiny new object or your pretty little sleeper to stop me from criticizing players that deserve criticism. The small sample fluke traps like Kenyon Drake this year and Tyreek Hill last year. Sure, Tyreek Hill broke out right in my face. But he did it by having the luckiest season by a wide receiver since the merger. Every touchdown he scored was over 30 yards. Was 30 yards or deeper. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, you proved me wrong with the luckiest season we've ever seen. Congratulations. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's, you're, you're fine. You're, you're good. The, it is. It's... it's but you're you're preaching to the choir. I mean, you're you're talking to a guy who uh, podcasts for the Dynasty Dummies, right. who writes a parody song every week to open the show, I, like and who can't sing. Go to iTunes. Go to Stitcher. Go to Podbean. Whatever fuck podcast app you listen to, and just download, subscribe to the Dynasty Dummies. I, I appreciate that. And to your point, the other day I got crushed. For a C.J. Anderson take, where I said C.J. Anderson was not the RB1 in Carolina. I know that's that's fire. That's hot. That's crazy. Why would you say such a thing? I, I know. I, you know look, I, if you're defining RB1 as the fantasy point leader for that backfield, then uh, hello. Just look at the players' respective ADPs in seasonal leagues, for Christ's sake. Yeah. What is the debate, Zach? It, it, to me, there wasn't. But all of a sudden... 
you're being attacked. I mean, it's it's. Oh right, yeah, because they're, they're a handful of people have rostered C.J. Anderson in every dynasty league, and the moment they smell just a whiff of criticism, out they come with their flags marching on you, and you're hiding in your basement wondering well, how the fuck did this just happen to me? They have torches and they're and they're setting my house on fire. I'm curled up in the bathtub. How the fuck did I get here? <laughs> Exactly, all over C.J. Anderson, who's being paid uh, Jaquiz Rogers money, so I should give him some respect. (laughs) So another player that I believe is just not getting enough attention. Where is the Quincy Anunwa talk? Uh, How are there not more conversations on social media about Quincy Anunwa? There there will be shortly, because I I recently uh, saw a tweet from Evan Silva that said the, the Jets are waiting on uh, something to happen with Robbie Anderson. You think? And as, as soon as that happens... Really? Really? It's going to be a Nunwa, man. Robbie Anderson's going to get suspended? That's shocking. <laughs> I didn't read anything about him having an altercation with police officers or anything in the offseason. <laughs> NFL will never suspend someone for an altercation with a police officer. Unless it's LaShawn McCoy. If it's LaShawn McCoy, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, no. A Nunwa is... Should be the wide receiver one in New York for whatever that is. I mean, we already talked about how I I don't believe in Sam Darnold. He will be the week one starter, and I hope the Jets trade Teddy Bridgewater. I own Teddy Bridgewater in a lot of 2QB and Superflex leagues, and I would like nothing more than the Jets to trade Quincy Inouye to a team that needs a quarterback like, oh, say, the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, Quincy Anunwa, 116.3, 96th percentile, height-adjusted speed score. Robbie Anderson is not a proper NFL X receiver. He is a field stretcher. He is a stretch X. He is a one-dimensional player who will give you splash weeks, like Tyreek Hill. He is a lesser Tyreek Hill. He will be a highly volatile long touchdown score, but not a consistent fantasy contributor. That's the future. I am peering into my crystal ball, and I am giving you Robbie Anderson's future, Zach. Quincy Nunwa, on the other hand, looks the part of an ex-receiver or a volume flanker who can lead his team in targets, much the way Pierre Garçon led Washington in targets five years ago, led the entire NFL in targets that season. Well, Quincy Nunwa has that in his range of outcomes. On the right team, in the right system, with the right quarterback at the right time, because he can win in all phases. He's not a one dimensional player. You can kick him inside, you can move him outside. He has the size and the speed to win against any defensive back and linebackers. So it makes perfect sense that they would eventually start to build that passing game around Quincy Anunwa and then throughout the preseason. He starts with Robbie Anderson suspended to start the season, and he becomes the focal point of that passing game very quickly. You can see that all unfolding. Now, on the Jets, he won't lead the NFL in targets. Of course not. But he has a Pierre Garçon ceiling. His long-term upside is better than Robbie Anderson's. And yet, in most Dynasty Leagues, you'll see Robbie Anderson ranked much higher on Dynasty League ranking services, and that doesn't make sense. And he doesn't even have to lead the Jets in targets. I mean, you've seen him before be productive. He, oh, hold on. Let me just make sure that all the buzzards 
who are here <laughs> to remind me that Kenyon Drake actually has hands. He has physical hands. He literally has hands, and I need to be reminded of that. This is an important correction to my tweet. I don't think Quincy Inouye will lead the NFL in targets. <laughs> I'm saying his best case in his range of outcomes is Pierre Garçon, who once upon a time led the NFL in targets. Motherfuckers. It's that fantasy football player goldfish-style memory where we haven't seen a Nunwa for a year, and we forgot that he put up 850 yards on 101 targets. Like We've seen it before. We've seen him be productive. And we've also seen him dominate the college level, which is something we've never seen Kenyon Drake do, but we've seen Derrick Henry do. College dominator for Quincy Inunua, 47.1%, 84th percentile, which is something we've never seen Tyreek Hill do, which is something we've never seen Kenyon Drake do, but it's something we've seen Derrick Henry do, and it's something we've seen Quincy Inunua do. College dominator of 47.1%, 84th percentile. Eat it! <laughs> eat it, Robbie Anderson fanatics. Eat it. Get your face in there. Just eat that. Eat that dominator rating. Eat that. 2016 production because he is back baby Quincy Nunwa is back now what about George Kittle George Kittle was Ian Thomas before Ian Thomas and I've sensed some real enthusiasm around George Kittle in seasonal leagues but not as much in dynasty do dynasty leaguers think that the 49ers are going to draft the tight end of the future next season what, what am I missing like it's happening for George Kittle and he's young with one of the best athletic profiles at the position in the NFL how is there not more buzz around George Kittle right now? Well, he's he's going right now in the same range as Gesicki. So are those are those are your two guys? I mean, those are your two the the metric marvels, the guys who just popped. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That the guy that has the experience, who was yeah. one of the most productive rookie tight ends we've seen in recent memory, who has established competency on an NFL football field, he has an enormous advantage over Mike Gusecki because he's proved it. He has proven performance, which makes any comparison to Mike Gusecki. Which makes any comparison to Mike Gusecki apples and oranges. This goes back to a theory I've got that about, let's say, 60% of, of guys playing Dynasty don't actually care about winning. They're, they're, they're looking for that sexy roster. They're looking for that next big thing. They've heard so much about Gusecki, you know, being this athletic freak, being the tight end of the future, being, being the guy who came out and, and killed the combine. Oh, yeah, George Kittle didn't kill the combine at all. All he did was run a 4.52, had a 127.3, 89th percentile burst score, and a 100th percentile agility score. We talked about how we want our tight ends to be nimble in traffic. Great lateral quickness in tight spaces. Well, George Kittle is the best at that, has the best size-adjusted agility at the tight end position, and yet for whatever reason, he's not as sexy as some of the other tight ends in his class, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, O.J. Howard, the tight ends with the draft capital, and then this year, the shiny new rookies with the draft capital and the athleticism, and George Kittle, he falls through that sifter. We'll be right there to pick him up because that's, that, that's the guy I want. I don't want sexy. I want production, and that's exactly the, the first two places last year that I heard about Kittle. Kittle is sexy! 
This is my objection. He's very sexy. George Kittle is a sex machine. He's very sexy. George Kittle is a sex machine. The George Kittle sex machine. I like it. That's the show, and that's the show title. That is perfect. Uh, why is he not viewed as sexy? It's just so weird. When players I like get drafted in the first round, it's a killer for me. I don't want it to happen. I wanted DJ Moore to fall out of the first round because I knew these draft capital zombies. Ooh, draft capital. Ooh. They were going to be drafting DJ Moore without fully appreciating DJ Moore. You don't deserve DJ Moore just pushing the button based on draft capital. You deserve Calvin Ridley. You do not deserve DJ Moore. No, it's the other DJ that, that they need. They need DJ Chark. You should be happy. He's a second-round pick. That's, that's, that's good draft capital. Go, go get that guy. Yeah. I'll take Keelan Cole. How about that? The undrafted nobody from the small school. Give me that guy. The guy without the brand equity, but who does have the 60% dominator rating. <laughs> Golden opportunity to get a top tight end talent, top tight end talent, top tight end talent. I wouldn't be surprised if a year from now they're thinking, man, this Goddard guy is better than Ertz. This many fantasy points for Cameron Bray, this many fantasy points for OJ Howard. We can't draft OJ Howard. Stop it! Stop talking! This is a dynasty league! Stop it! I don't care about Deshaun Jackson in a dynasty league. Shut up. No! I'm not worried about Cameron fucking Bright! There are no fortune tellers in this community. Look, I mean, I hook in with, with Peter Howard all the time. I mean, he's, he's my go-to, so. Between him and Kyle. Peter Howard of the player profiler, world-famous draft kit projections wizard. That's the one. That's the one. My favorite thing is the fact that we, we go, and, of course, we have projections from Peter Howard. And people are like, oh, yes, of course. His name sounds like a guy that you've heard is good. They're like, of course. Yes, oh, Peter Howard. I, I'm from, very familiar with Peter Howard. His work is amazing. We absolutely just positioned it as if you'd heard his name a million times. Like, wait, who's Peter Howard again? Very familiar with Peter Howard. Like, wait, who's Peter Howard again? Very familiar with Peter Howard. It's absolutely brilliant, too. Like, I've been talking with him before I found out that he was doing the, the draft kit. This guy's everywhere. I mean, we have Peter Howard's projections. I mean, if you're not familiar with Peter Howard, then you don't know fantasy football. <laughs> One of, one of the, the finest imports uh, in the world, the, the imported statistician direct from England via Kentucky. 
his next generation projection model. If you're not familiar with it, then you need to recognize. You need to get with it. The the cutting edge. I mean, if you're if you're not on the cutting edge, you're you're behind and, and you're you're toast. You're in the jet wash. But that was the thing. The question was, should we explain this? And I said, no, we're not explaining it. We're not explaining it. This is Peter Howard we're talking about. And the question came back to me, well, who is Peter Howard? And I said, that's not important. The point is we're putting a name on it. His name is Peter Howard, and it's his projection model, and that's all that matters, right? This isn't some crazy name. This is Peter fucking Howard, man. How do you not know that name? And like, you're right. I, I really should know this name. This guy's amazing. He's doing the draft kit. I mean, I got to figure this out. In the meantime, I'm going to buy the draft kit. <laughs> Love it. The psychology. It's its beautiful. Because he does have a legitimate projection system that's amazing. It's just that we're positioning it as, hey, you should already know about this. And granted, it's never been released to the public, and there's no way you would ever know about it. But it's so good, you should already know about it. It is. That's perfect. You should know these guys. These are the best of the best. Would the draft kit have anything else? Would the draft kit have anything other than the best of the best? Well, no, it's world famous. It's world famous, of course. Yes, thank you. Ugh, I love it. Yeah, no, I'm in uh, in Bath working at the, the Ironworks now. Oh, Bath Ironworks. It's a pretty extensive application process, testing and that sort of thing. And they had, I don't know, something like 700 applicants for 10 jobs. So Did they, did they get a look at your fantasy team before they gave you the opportunity? <laughs> If they knew I was a film guy and and not necessarily a metric guy, they, they probably wouldn't have hired me. I mean, it's a lot of numbers that are, I'm going to be playing with. So I've done well over 500 shows. And the funny thing is, before then, I had never had a sip of alcohol before a show. And before this show, I'm loaded. <laughs> I've been drinking since 2 o'clock. <laughs> you know, I'm on my fifth glass of wine. This is going to be a great show. This is the first time I've ever... But it's not like, oh, yeah, I did that one show where I had that one drink. No, no. It's zero drinks. And then that one show I did for Maine where I was totally loaded. Where I was totally loaded. 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 I had a break at work, and I, I crawled out of the, the fuel tank and checked my email again. I'm like, okay, well, we're just flying. We're winging it. We're good. This is going to be like a 30-minute show. I don't even know how long I can go. The show sheet is pathetic. Most of I should forward you another show sheet from someone else so you can see what a real Mind of Mansion Sonic Truth show sheet looks like. This show sheet is just pathetic. <laughs> We've been rolling off no show sheet over with the dummies, so this is this is great. I mean, this is like full spread Thanksgiving dinner, man. And then it's like five questions, and they're all just like, who do you like of the rookies? And it's just like, you know, you're mailing it in. And it's just, and it's just. <laughs> I think after 575 shows across five different platforms, I'm allowed to mail one in. And I'm mailing one in. We could have done this same, we could have done this dummy style. You could have come down to the studio. It would have been perfect. I'm on my way down to Bath tomorrow. I'm going to Portland tomorrow. I could have come to Bath. We could have done the, the show in Bath. If you're ever in a hurry, Maine is going to drive you completely crazy. There will be no R's in this show. 
I'm, I've been a week in Maine. I'm already talking like a Mainer again. It comes right back to me. I ordered a leg of lamb caught into cubes so I could make shish kebab tonight from the grocery store. And the response was, well, we'll see what we can do. And I said, what do, what do you mean? <laughs> so yeah, call back tomorrow and we'll let you know. <laughs> I guess I'll call back tomorrow and see if I have lamb for the camp. You can't give me a fucking straight answer. I'll call you tomorrow. That's fine. <laughs> really? I'm going to fucking call tomorrow. Where am I? I'm going to go out on a limb and say there aren't very many uh, grocery stores selling lamb. It's, there are only a million people in Maine, and most of them are uh, are below Augusta. They got you. The the pace is theirs. You're you're playing uh, playing ball on uh, on their field. The fact that there was a leg of lamb in town was amazing. You know, but it's Maine. That's it. You just got to call tomorrow, and we'll see if... If the meat cutter came down from camp, then he cut your lamb up, and if not, then you're you're shut out of luck. <laughs> to me, it was a miracle we had a leg of lamb in this town. You used to have to drive an hour to get underwear. So did you come down to Lincoln, hit Martin's? I'm editing that out. Don't ever say that. On the tree, camouflaged, ready to just pounce on every little take right and it's like you know what like today i mean i'm not you know today i I was kind of wandering around for once in 550 shows it's the joe namath episode we're here we're we're here for it and you say uh, welcome to the sonic truth podcast and you give your your name and your your handle Are are you gonna be mad at me if i if i embellish that a little bit and you build a keep going over and 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 over again until you know the opponent better than he knows himself. And that's what we're trying to do on the Sonic Truth podcast is allow you to know your opponent better than they know themselves. So when you propose a trade, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, accept. And you're like, <laughs> right? I watch it every day. <laughs> you, you could. Oh, every day. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> Emily Blunt is incredible. I mean, Kelly McGillis versus Emily Blunt is like, you know, it's like Aaron Rodgers versus Bernie Kosar. I mean, get out of here. I mean, get out of here. <laughs> I was going to go Bortles, but Kosar works. I think it's like Aaron Rodgers versus Bernie Kosar. That's the difference. There's a sequel coming. Yes. Yes, that's what I've heard. If not The Edge of Tomorrow, then what? The Edge of Next Week? Is that what it's going to be called? The Edge of Next Week? Is that what it's going to be called? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm worried it may jump the shark, man. It, it may that may be the end of it. You think? You think it's going to jump the shark, Zach? How do you recover from a masterpiece? I mean, how, where do you go from there? I would love to have Tom Cruise's IMDb. Like, his IMDb is great. Like, it's great. Like, I'm not saying it's fine. It's actually great. Jerry Maguire was a legitimately great movie. Cameron Crowe, you could argue that was his second best movie. Understood. If you want to argue that, I'm not going to argue with you. It's fine. Go ahead. Jerry Maguire. When I look at Tom Cruise's IMDb, I see two movies. I see Top Gun, and I see Edge of Tomorrow. And the rest of it's just details. The rest of it's just a fill in the blank. Tropic Thunder, okay, he wasn't a lead. Tropic Thunder doesn't count. You can't give me fucking Tropic Thunder. I think Edge of Tomorrow is a top three Tom Cruise movie. Fight me. Fight me. I, I'm, I've got a top three for me. I feel like Edge of Tomorrow is, is 
kind of gone under the radar mainstream. Does it make you think? Yes. Does it make you react emotionally? Yes. It's everything. It's everything you want in a movie. I mean, what do you think is more popular? Do you think Edge Tomorrow or Jack Reacher is more popular? I'm sure more people have seen Jack Reacher. The fact that more people have seen Jack Reacher than Edge of Tomorrow to me is absurd. To me, it's like one of the silliest things I've ever heard. If there are any minions in this audience that have never seen Edge of Tomorrow, stop this podcast right now, go watch it, and then come back and you can finish listening. But you can't not watch Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. I don't care how many they want to make. Three, four, five, six, doesn't matter. I will be a fan of Edge of Tomorrow. That's my franchise. It's one of the best movies of all time. You already brought us on. I brought us on. I, I gave you the welcome to the Sonic Truth. What do, what do you want me to do? What, where are we going? Where are we going? We going rookie running backs? What do, what do you want me to do? What, where are we going? Where are we going? What do, what do you want me to do? No, no, it's fine. I, I didn't know that. And that's going in the outtakes, obviously. Hopefully I can edit all this. We should really be drafting running backs early in fantasy drafts. <laughs> like, yeah, right? What do, what do you want me to do? Where, where are we going? Where are we going? And they wait. And they wait. I, I don't remember exactly how it goes. But they wait. And then they, and then they wait longer. And they wait. And then they strike! I would have one player on the block and one player only, and his name would be Todd Gurley. What do, what do you want me to do? Where, where are we going? Where are we going? Todd Gurley is in the Sean McVay offense. Oh my, oh my God. And then, oh, oh, amazing. We have Jared Goff. Oh, Jared Goff, too. Oh, whoa. Oh, Jared Goff and Sean McVay. I mean, amazing. Right? It doesn't get any better than that. Hopefully I can edit all this right away as rookies. And then give me uh, Aaron Jones. Kenyon Drake doesn't have hands. Guys, 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 guys. Listen, listen. Here's the thing. It's a show. <laughs> yes, Cooper Cup is the white angel of death. I get it. And it's a nickname. But that doesn't mean you don't draft him at all. <laughs> I'm pushing the button on Cooper Cup because I'm not an idiot, Zach. The patrons believed in my takes more than I believed in my takes. What do, what do you want me to do? Where, where are we going? Where are we going? More of a Browns guy now, but yeah. Ever since the pictures of Tom Brady came out where he doesn't look in shape. We got Fat Brady now. Ahead of guys? Ahead of guys? <laughs> Hopefully I can edit all this. We have him number two after DJ Moore because we know what we're doing. We got Fat Brady now. Hopefully I can edit all this. If Michelle fumbles. Oh! 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 NFL will never spend someone for an altercation with a police officer. Unless it's LaShawn McCoy. If it's LaShawn McCoy, it's fine. Hopefully I can edit all this. Marcus Mariota has a nice wrist flick. Kenyon Drake doesn't have hands. Kenyon Drake actually has hands he has physical hands he literally has hands and i need to be reminded of that his best case in his range of outcomes is pierre garçon who once upon a time led the nfl in targets motherfuckers kenyan drake doesn't have hands i have a weird feeling about donald man eat it get your face in there just eat that eat that dominator rating 
eat that 2016 production. He is back, baby. Quincy Nunwa is back. He's very sexy. Kenyon Drake doesn't have hands. That Miami drafting a big back who runs small. Shout out to Kalen Balaj. It's just a serendipitous bluebird just fluttering over and perching on your knee. You're like, how is this possible? Is this a dream? How is this happening? It's not a dream. It's playerprofiler.com. Waxing poetic about my own fucking website. Kenyon Drake doesn't have hands. That's crazy. Why would you say such a thing? I, I know, I, you know. I, With their flags marching on you. And you're hiding in your basement wondering, well, how the fuck did this just happen to me? I, I know, I, you know. I, Kenyon Drake doesn't have hands. I'm curled up in the bathtub. How the fuck did I get here? I, I know, I, you know. I, That's why... Frank Gore exists. He's a zombie running back who only exists to diminish the fantasy potential of his teammates. <laughs> That's his new mission in life. The message was the Dolphins are hilarious. Let's go make fun of the Dolphins, everybody. Yeah! No, 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 no. You, you want to know why? I, I know, I, you know. I, what, do you, what do you want me to do? Where, where are we going? Where are we going? Calvin Ridley is the anti-Golden Tate. Don't need to use a first-round pick. <laughs> what? What? No Thomas the Train. Well, well, that goes without saying, Zach, that on a guy's weekend, there would be no Thomas the Train. I, I know, I, you know, I, I, I know, I, you know, I, what, do you, what do you want me to do? What do you, what do you want me to do? Where, where are we going? Where are we going? Well, draft capital. Oh, draft capital. Oh, the draft capital zombies. Draft capital. Oh, draft capital. Oh, motherfuckers.